Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. I feel like it's appropriate to talk about, you know, medical science today, based on kind of what's going on in our world, because medical science is one of those cool things where it has, it has to change. Medical science today is very different than what medical science looked like a hundred years ago, and rightly so, because if medical science was the same today as it was a long time ago, we would be in really, really bad shape. So let me, let me give you some examples of times that medical Medical science advanced, but at times that maybe people didn't want it to. Okay, so first in the mid in the mid 1900s, there was a man. We'll bring his picture up. His name was Ignaz Semmelweis. Okay, he was a Viennese doctor, not Vietnamese. Very different than Viennese. Um, He was a Viennese doctor, and and he. He worked uh, delivering babies and, and, and obviously did a lot, lots of doctory things, all that stuff. But he kind of discovered this. He was, as he was observing birth patterns and birth mortality rates, the mortality rate for new babies was very high. And the survival rate was low. And so what he kind of observed was this, is that when doctors were doing autopsies on dead bodies... And then going to deliver babies, the mortality rate on babies was very high. And he had this theory that maybe doctors were picking up these tiny microscopic particles off of dead bodies and and babies were getting them when they were delivering. So he thought, what if we, and this is crazy, his idea, what if we washed our hands in between touching dead bodies and touching new babies? And so he was like, and maybe these microscopic things that are causing this will go away. And so he tested his theory. So at his clinic... He and all of his other nurses and doctors began to wash their hands after they were touching dead bodies. And the mortality rate dropped 90% just from washing hands. So you would think, huge leap for science, right? Wrong. Because when he rolled out his discovery to all of the other doctors at the time, and everyone was like, oh, ridiculous. Like, this is, this little microscopic things that we cannot see? No, never. And so nobody believed it. And so nobody adopted the practice of washing hands except for, for, except for this man and his clinic. And what's crazy is this, is that as people pushed back against him, he started to fight back. And he's like, no, this is right. And he like, he poured all his passion and, and energy into this and into trying to make people realize that if they just washed their hands, that the mortality rate would drop. He was pushed against so hard, he was so stressed that, that he lost it. He was admitted into a Viennese mental institution, which, I mean, an insane asylum. And after he was admitted into this insane asylum, because of all that he had gone through trying to prove that he was right about washing hands, he was beaten and died two weeks after he was admitted into an insane asylum. And people were still not washing hands at the time. Medical science, right? Okay, here's another, another crazy story about an advancement in medical science that was pushed back against. Okay, bring this next picture up. Martin Arthur Comey, uh, Coney was a, in, a doctor in the 1890s, and this new technology was developed in Europe uh, for babies, and it was incubators. Now, at the time, this was totally new, the idea of putting a premature baby into an incubator where they could, you know, be healthy and grow. And and so this guy found this technology, and he's like, I'm going to bring this to the United States, and it's going to revolutionize birth mortality in the United States, this incubator stuff. He brings it over, and nobody buys it. Medical science, and the doctor's like, oh, babies in incubators, that's ridiculous. I would never do that. And so, because he believed in this so much, and he knew it was right, the only way that he could fund his research and get people to see it 
was to rent a building on Coney Island and to put babies in incubators as a sideshow at the carnival. And he charged people 25 cents a visit to come in and look at the babies in the incubators. And the, the 25 cents then funded his research. But essentially, the reason that the incubators exist today is because this guy... He made it a sideshow at carnivals. That was the only way that they could get babies into incubators. The craziest thing is that Martin Arthur County, he died in relative obscurity, and the first neonatal ward that used incubators didn't open until 36 years later in New York City. Isn't that crazy? Like, come on, guys, where are you at? This is, and it's not just like old science, right? It's not just old medicine that pushes against change. But in the 1980s, there's a doctor named Barry Marshall. You can bring him up. Barry Marshall uh, was a gastroenterologist, and uh, there, the conventional wisdom at the time was that ulcers were caused by stress and spicy foods. That's what doctors believed. And so they treated it that way. And there was, it was really difficult to treat ulcers. In fact, most people who had ulcers never got better. They just kind of had to live with it. And it was expensive uh, to kind of live with ulcers at the time. Well, well Barry Marshall he had this theory that ulcers were not caused by stress and spicy foods, but instead caused by bacteria in the stomach. And he believed that you could treat ulcers with a simple antibiotic that would be effective and radically cheaper. And so he played his theory out to medical science and it was like, oh, no, 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 no. That's impossible. It doesn't work that way. And, and so Barry Marshall, with his, with his belief in, in what was going on, uh, on at stake... He did this. He took a Petri dish full of 100 billion bacteria and he drank it himself to give himself an ulcer. And it worked. The man got an ulcer in his stomach and then he treated it with antibiotics to prove to medical science that what he had said was true. And to prove that ulcers could be treated with a simple pill, this, thing, this disease had been mistreated for years. And what's crazy about all of this is that for medical science and for medicine to advance, it requires people to think differently than they always have. They have to think differently about things in order for advances to take place in medicine. And it's not just medicine. I mean, it's like there's so many areas and aspects of life where, where in order for us to advance, we have to think differently. I got it. This is a crazy example. There was, there's a man named Clifford Stoll. And you can bring his picture up. Clifford is, he's a futurist, okay? Which, and I don't know how you become a futurist. What a great job. Your job is just to like talk and write about what might happen sometime in the future. Like, sign me up. That sounds cool. But Clifford wrote an article in 1995 in Newsweek magazine that was published. And this article was called, Why the Web Won't Be Nirvana. Clifford Stoll had some thoughts about the future of the internet. Now, these are three things in his own words that were in this Newsweek article. Go Google it, I swear, it's still out there. He says this first. He says, the truth is that no online database will replace your daily newspaper. No CD-ROM can take the place of a competent teacher, and no computer network will ever change the way that government works. Okay, so that's, that's futurist. He says this. He says, the director of the MIT Media Lab predicts that we will soon buy books and newspapers straight over the internet. And then he writes this. Uh, sure. <laughs> Literally, uh, comma, sure. Like, it could only be better if it, like, had parentheses. That was sarcasm. Parentheses, right? So, okay, then he writes this, too. He says, we're promised 
Instant catalog shopping. Just point and click for great deals. We'll order airline tickets over the network, make restaurant reservations, and negotiate sales contracts. Stores will become obsolete. Then he writes this. So how come my local mall does more business in an afternoon than the entire internet handles in a month? This is a, this is a man whose job was to dream about what could be possible in the future. And could you imagine if everyone bought into that line of thinking? What if everyone had agreed with him that that was what the future of, of the internet was going to look like? What if no one had ever challenged his way of thinking? In order for things to advance, in order for things to, to move forward, we, we have to be able as a culture and a society to change the way we think about things. Did you know that the way that you think has a huge impact on your life as an individual? Did you know that the way that you think about yourself, that the way you think about others, that the way you think about your life and your perspectives has a huge impact on your life? In the same way that people thought that, that, uh, that, that held back medical breakthroughs because they couldn't change the way they're thinking, there are ways in which we think about ourselves and our lives that are holding us back from big change and from good things that God wants us to experience in our lives as well. That's, that's why Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 15. Jesus said, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. So just right out of the gate, just know this, that when it comes to to, to the Bible and kind of a Jewish culture where the Bible was written from. When they talk about the heart, they're not talking about feelings, right? It's not like a Valentine's Day thing where it's like, oh, out of my heart comes love. When they're talking about the heart, they're talking about the will. They're talking about this, this wellspring of, of decision-making. Uh, the heart is your mind, it's your will, it's your emotions, it's all of your thought processes put together. And so when Jesus says that out of the heart, that the evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, lying and slander, that it comes out of there. What he's saying is that out of your mind, out of the way that you think about life, out of the thoughts that you have, come all of these awful and destructive and dangerous things. That's why the writer of Proverbs says this in Proverbs 4.23. He says, guard your heart above all else. Why? Because it determines the course of of your life. Guard your heart, guard your mind, your thought processes, guard them above all else because they determine the course of your life. Now today is going to have a lot of little quotables, right? And they're not all up on the screen, but like, I just want you to capture all these things, okay? Because the first thing is this, the life you have is a reflection of the thoughts that you think. The life that you have right now is a reflection of the thoughts that you think. It's a reflection of the way that your mind works, a reflection of where your mind goes. James chapter one, the writer, put, James puts it this way. He says that temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. Temptation comes from our thoughts, and when we, when we engage those negative thoughts, when we engage in a specific way of thinking, when our mind is oriented a certain specific way, the, the, those desires entice us and drag us away, and then they give birth to sinful actions, or they give birth to things that are damaging and destructive in our lives that hurt us and that hurt other people around us. Everything in your life that is negative started with a thought it started in, in, in your mind. And here's the thing, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. 
always. Your strongest thoughts, your strongest thought patterns, are they are both the motor and the steering wheel of your life. And your life is always going to be moving in the direction of those strongest thoughts. I mean, for example... You know, a lot of people um, have this kind of attitude. It's like, well, I can't do that. I, you know, I could never do that. I, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough money. I'm not qualified. And here's the thing. If you think you can't, then you won't. I tell my kids this all the time. Like, they'll wake up in the morning, and it's like, if you remember going to school, you can remember this attitude. I'm like, hey, guys, how you doing? I'm okay. Well, what's the matter? It's literally first thing in the morning. Oh, I just got to go to school. I'm like, well, it's just going to be bad. It's going to be a bad day because I got to go to school. I'm like, well, well here's the thing. Whether you think it's going to be a bad day or a good day, you're right, okay? Because, because you are setting the template for what your day is going to be. And when you think things aren't gonna work out, things are probably not gonna work out. If your mindset, if your, your mental process is to dwell on problems, right? And to think about those things that, that are difficulties and struggles in your life. And if you're thinking about how all the, thing, all the things that are going wrong for you and all the obstacles that you have to face, if that's where your mind is oriented, well, here's the thing. Those things are going to overwhelm your life. Because where your mind goes, your life is going to follow. If, you are, if you're a person who, who feels like a victim, where it's like, everyone's out to get me, nothing goes my way, I never get what I want, nobody cares about what I want. If you, if you think like a victim, then you are going to become a victim because your mindset determines your life and, and, and your strongest thoughts are going to dictate the course and the direction of your life. What comes into your mind comes out in your life. The thoughts we entertain, what comes into our mind, it comes out in our life. If, you know, I, I used to be, and I still struggle with this, I used to be a really, like, critical person. Really cynical, really critical. Uh, when I was younger, like, TV shows, movies, music, it, I either loved it or I hated it, okay? And so, like, if I didn't like something, it was the worst thing ever made in the world and was trash, destroyed, it's awful, blah, you know? Because I, I just had a very critical mindset. And because when, as I thought those, those critical thoughts about things, it played out in my life, and I became a critical person. And I wasn't even aware of it. One time when I was in Bible college, I was sitting in my dorm with one of my one of my roommates, and, and, he, and I, was just, I don't know what I was even talking about. It doesn't even matter what I was talking about. I was probably like, man, that, that's so stupid. This person's such an idiot. I can't, you know, just some, probably something like that. And he just stopped me. This is one of my best friends. And he just stopped me, and he's like, he's like, hey, man, if you don't stop being so critical, I don't think I can hang out with you anymore. And I was like, jerk. <laughs> I was like, you're wrong. And, and I, you know, critical of what he said. But that night, I was just thinking about it. And I, and I was like, I got past my negative thoughts. And I, I started to, like, do an audit, really, of, of the things that I thought. And I started to do an audit of the things that I said. And I realized this. Is that, like, I was a really critical and negative person. And he was right. But I couldn't see it. And, and the thing is, is that, like, my thought pattern... My, the, my way of thinking about the world and my way of thinking about things impacted my behaviors and it impacted my relationships. I couldn't just be critical in my mind without it affecting some of my closest relationships to where the people closest with me were like, I don't think I can be around you at all anymore. Because the thing is, 
What comes into our mind, it comes out in your life. If you think critical thoughts, you will have a critical spirit and you will have a critical, uh, a critical perspective and that critical outcome will play out in your life. If you believe the day is going to be hard, it's going to be hard. If you, if you entertain thoughts that people are just gonna hurt you and if you entertain thoughts that you can't trust people and if you entertain thoughts that, like, that you've gotta protect and defend yourself, then that will play out in your life. It'll come out in your life in ways where you are not likely to have very many close friends and close relationships. And what started is just a way of thinking about people, a, a belief that you may have had that people just are gonna hurt me and people can't be trusted, plays out to where you don't have close relationships in your life. Most of life's battles are won or lost in your mind. Most of life's battles are won and lost here long before you ever hit the battlefield. Your day at work is won or lost based not what happens at work, but what happens in your mind before you get there. Your day at school is won or lost based on what happens here. Maybe even before you get out of bed, most of our battles are won or lost in the mind. And that's why over the next several weeks, we're gonna be spending some time figuring out how do we master our own minds? How do we, how do we overcome this, this, this negative or, or damaging thought process in our lives so that we can control the direction of our thoughts, knowing this, that our thoughts determine the course of our lives. And the great news is this, is that in Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul, almost in this whole chapter, really lays out a plan for us and, and the things that we can do and the things that we can we can allow to become part of our lives to change our thought processes and to change our habits. And he starts by saying this in Romans chapter 12, verse two. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. So right out of the gate, we know Paul's going to talk about how do, we, how do we change our thought processes and our minds, but he lays out this thing that we need to understand at, at the very beginning before anything else, before we know how we can change our minds, and that is this. It's, it's this idea that the Christian life is based on an understanding that you and I must change. A life of following Jesus is based on this premise, this underlying belief, this underlying truth that you and I cannot stay the same as we are right now. Okay, now understand this. Whether you're a follower of Jesus and you just became a Christian a week ago or whether you've been following Jesus for 15 or 20 years, God's heart, his intention for you is that you continue to transform, is that you continue to change. And, and if we're gonna follow Jesus, we have to expect to always be changing. And it also means this, that if we examine our lives and we discover that we are not changing, that a red flag should go up in our life. A red flag should go up and say, wait a minute, if I'm not changing, following Jesus, then something needs to be addressed. Something's wrong. Because you cannot have a relationship with Jesus and not have to change anything in your life. If you think you can have a relationship with Jesus and not change, I hate to, I hate to break this to you, but you're sorely mistaken. You're just wrong. But look, look at, look at where God begins this change process in our lives. We, if it starts with understanding that we have to change and that change is going to be a consistent and permanent part of the Christian life, 
This is the coolest thing. Look at where God begins that change process. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Now, this is, this is awesome. Like anything, he could have started anywhere in this process of transformation and change in our lives. He could have started anywhere in taking us from point A to point B, but the place he wants to begin the work is changing the way we think. And here's why. Because if you change your thinking, you change your life. If you change your way of thinking, you will change your life. It, and again, if you think you can do something, you probably will. If, if you have a, a thought process, if your mind thinks in terms of looking for solutions instead of wallowing in your problems, then some solutions will probably present themselves to you. If you believe that in spite of all the things that you are facing, in spite of all your struggles and your challenges and your problems, if you believe that as God promises in his word that you can overcome overcome in Christ, you will overcome in Christ. If your mind, if your thought processes are oriented around faith that says this, it says, God, I believe that you have something good for me. I believe that your best plans for me are going to be accomplished in my life. I have faith and belief and trust in you, God. If you believe that and you see good, then you will see God. You will see these things play out in your life because if you change your thinking, you change your life if you believe that you can make a difference in this world, you probably will. And if, if, you gen, if you genuinely trust people, if you believe that you can genuinely be transparent and open your heart to people and you believe the best of people instead of choosing to believe and expect the worst, that will play out in your life where you begin to develop real and close relationships with people who lift you up, with people who encourage you, with people who want what's best for you. Because when you change your thinking, you change your life. But here's the thing, okay? And this is like, this is the main thing that like, I just want us to all understand and grasp is that you cannot have a positive life if you have a negative mind. You just can't. You can't have a positive life if you have a negative mind because it's out of, out of your heart, out of your will, out of your mind and your thought processes that everything else follows. It's the root of the tree, and you can't have a positive life if you have a negative mind. Now, I know, because I've been in some of your shoes, that some of you guys are in here right now, and you're like, well, this is not me. I don't even care what you say. I think what I want to think. And some of you guys are struggling with the fact that you know that your thought processes, you know that your mind skews negative and it's hard to hear this, okay? Some of you might be thinking about me the same way I thought about my roommate. Okay, you jerk, shut up. And like, I, I get it, I understand. And that's why I wanna tell you this. There, this is not just bad news, okay? This is not just beat up on people who, who have maybe allowed their thought processes to go off a way that, that isn't best for them and for the people in their lives. That's not what this is. I've got, I've got good news for you. And the good news is that we don't have to fix this on our own. This is not a matter of being like, okay, just stop being negative. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and just do better. That's, you know, get counseling, whatever. That's not what this is. It's not about getting beat up all the time because God promises in his word that he will do the transforming. Romans 12, right at the beginning, it says this, let God transform you. Let him do the work. He wants to do the transforming work for you. All we have to do, 
All you have to do if you struggle with this, with having a, a, a negative mindset or having a thought, thought patterns that are destructive and damaging for life, all you have to do is position yourself before God in such a way that he can do the change work for you is to position yourself before God, starting by understanding the reality, the baseline, that I need to change. That I can't stay the same. If I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to understand his purposes and, and be fulfilled in the plans that he has for me, is I can't stay the same. And beginning with that understanding, saying, okay, if I can't stay the same, I have to allow God to search my heart. I have to allow God to test my thoughts. I have to allow God to deal with these things in me and allow God to change me and then seek him to do it. Ephesians chapter four says this. I love this. Since you've heard about Jesus, you've heard about him and you've learned the truth that comes from him. You've accepted this truth and you believe it. It says, now throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Now that you've heard about Jesus and you believe in Jesus, it's time to get rid of that old, pattern of life. It's time to change it because all it leads to is things that are destructive and damaging to your life. And then he says this, instead, instead of living that that type of life that's broken, instead of that, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. I love it because he doesn't say, instead, go work harder to change your way of thinking. Go work harder to be positive. No, forget that. It says, instead, let God's spirit do the work for you. This is what's so awesome. We don't have to do the heavy lifting. All we have to do is turn the knob and open the door and say, you know what, God, I think I might need you to come in and help me. And then he does. He's just knock, he's knocking at the door right now. He's saying, I can do this for you. I can help you. I can transform your life by transforming your mind. I can renew your mind and thus keep you away from the things that have the, the patterns that have just destroyed your relationships and, and gotten you into to massive amounts of debt and, and, have, and have, have led to every bad decision and bad choice that you've ever made in your life. And all you have to do is just open the door and let me in. We just have to understand that God wants to do this work in our lives. So, okay, so as I close, what are some practical things that we can do to open the door to God and to, to begin allowing him to, to transform our, our mindset, to transform our thought life, to, to help us to master our own minds. What do we need to do today? And there's two things, okay? And the first one is this. Simply start by acknowledging that you need to change. Start with the acknowledgement that, that maybe my, my mind is off. Maybe my thought processes are not the best. Because there's no level of Christian life at which you are done being changed by God. Like there's no level of Christian life at which you are done being transformed into the image of Christ. In fact, like I can't, I can't tell you how many Christians I have known in my life. I've seen them come in to compass and go out of compass. I've, in, my, in, my, in other churches, I've seen them come into church and go out of church. I've seen Christians go through this pattern because here's what happens is that it doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus, is that it's easy for people to settle into spiritual comfort instead of pursuing and seeking spiritual change. And what happens is this, is that people, people become followers of Jesus and they're like, oh, God's changed me. He's done all this incredible stuff in my life. And then we begin to seek this place where we don't change anymore. We just seek this one spot where everything is predictable, where everything is the same, and where we can just be comfortable. 
And I can't tell you how many, how many followers of Jesus who I've seen go through this pattern and they'll walk in the front door of the church and Jesus will transform and change their life and then they settle into Christian comfort. And when you settle into Christian comfort, you know what leaves? Transformation and change. Because we begin to close the door on God and we say, you know what, God, you changed me enough and I think I'm good where I'm at right now. I think I'm good believing and feeling what I'm feeling right now and I don't, I don't want any more. I just want to settle in. And when that happens, when we don't change and we aren't transformed, well, it's no good. And all of a sudden the Christian life is no longer satisfying. A life following Jesus isn't satisfying anymore because we've stopped following Jesus. And we got, well, I need to try a different church. I've got to, I got to find a place that'll, that'll feed me and meet my needs. Or, or I've got, maybe it's not even church. Maybe it's just Christianity in general. Maybe I was wrong about it. Maybe it's just not what I thought it was. And maybe it's just organized religion. Maybe I just am a spiritual person, but like, I just need to walk away from organized religion because it's not satisfying anymore. And the thing is, it's never that Jesus is not satisfying anymore. It's this, is we've settled for a level of spiritual comfort. And Jesus can't satisfy our hearts when we don't allow him to change our hearts. And so maybe your first step to bring this all back to maybe what you need to do today is just start by acknowledging the fact that you need to change and understand that you need to open the door to God. And it just starts there. And then the second thing that we can do just really practically is this, is we can, we can do a thought audit. Audit your way of thinking. Examine your thought life. Examine what it looks like. So, I mean, do this when you get home, maybe. Take a sheet of paper and write numbers 1 to 10 in three lines. 1 to 10, 1 to 10, 1 to 10. And then on that first line, I want you to write two words. By, by the number 1, I want you to write the word worry. And by 10, I want you to write the word peace. And then do an audit on your thought life and think to yourself, okay, how much of my thought life is, is peaceful thoughts, and how much of my thought life is worried thoughts? How much of my thought life is spent worrying about the future, and worrying about money, and worrying about my kids, and worrying about, worrying about just, just life, and, and how much of your thought life is spent with your heart racing, and you feeling stressed, and you snapping at your husband, or your wife, and your children, because you're just at this constant low-grade fever of worry, and then just circle what number that is. One, I'm worried all the time. I'm stressed and worried all the time. 10, I'm at total peace. I don't worry about anything. Do an audit on your thought life and see where you are. On that second line, one to 10, I want you to write by one, I want you to write the word negative. And by 10, write the word positive. And then just do an audit on your thought life. How many of my thoughts skew negative and how many of my thoughts skew positive? How many of my thoughts are critical of people uh, of, of situations are, are cynical. How many of my thoughts find fault in, in people and in places and in, in government? How many of, of my thoughts are discontented? How many of my thoughts are oriented around the fact that life is just hard and that I'm too busy? Like when someone asks you, think about this, when someone asks you, how are you doing? How many times do you respond genuinely? you know what? Great. How many times are you responding? Oh man, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm just busy, you know, just doing what I can, just doing what I do. You know, life is same stuff, different day. You know what I'm saying? How many of your thoughts skew negative, but how many of your thoughts are positive are optimistic? How many of your thoughts think the best of other people instead of finding fault in other people? Believing the best in other people no matter what you're facing. How many of your thoughts uh, trust God with every decision that, you know what, I'm optimistic and I believe that no matter what I'm facing, God has got me. I've got a future ahead of me that's good. And then on the third line, one to 10, I want you to write by one. I want you to 
write the word the world. And then by 10, I want you to write the word eternity. And do a thought on it. How many of your thoughts are about your worldly life here? How many of your thoughts are oriented around the world as opposed to how many of your thoughts are oriented around spiritual and eternal things? So how, is your mind consumed with this life? Is your mind consumed with material possessions? Is your mind consumed with getting ahead, getting the house, getting the car? Is your mind consumed with just how do you keep advancing to the next thing and keeping up with people? Is your mind consumed with people liking you and making sure you present the right picture or image of your on social media so that you get the right amount of likes or the right amount of comments? Or is your mind captured with making an eternal difference? Is your mind captured with things of eternity, with, with the gifts that God has given you and how you can leverage those to reach people? Is your mind captured around your job? Is it, does it think about your job and how you can advance and how you can make more money? Or does it look at your job as a calling or a mission field where you can advance God's kingdom, where a place that he's placed you to make a difference in people's lives? Are you thinking worldly things or eternity. You can't have a positive life when you have a negative mind because your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And, 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 and what, the, what comes into our mind is always just gonna come out in our life. And so just the last thing I would ask you is this, is are you excited about the direction that your thoughts are taking you? I can tell you this, it's comfortable to have a negative mind. It's really comfortable to sit with my own negative, cynical thoughts. It's really easy to sit in worry because even though worry and stress are miserable, they are a, com they are a familiar companion, and it is so easy to sit in those negative thoughts. So I don't want you to think about how comfortable you are. I want you to think about how satisfied you are with the direction that your thought life is taking you. Are you satisfied with being the same a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, as your mind is taking you today? Because I can tell you right now, I'm not. And I'll tell you too right now is that a follower of Jesus would never content themselves being the same because God wants you to change. And you may feel powerless to change your way of thinking, but it's not on you to do it. It's on God to do it and he will do it. All you have to do is open the door and say, yes, God, I need to change. I can't live like this anymore. It's too, it's too deadly for me. It's too impactful negatively on my family and on my friends and on my life. And God, I'm ready to change today. Don't conform to the thought patterns of this world. Instead of that, let God transform you by changing the way you think. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, that, I thank you so much that when we look at your word and we see the things that you've prescribed for our lives, that God, so rarely is it something that we have to do all on our own. And God, more often than not, it's something that you want to do in us. It's something that you want to do for us. And so Lord, I just, I thank you for that. And I pray that for every single person in this room, God, I believe this, there is not a soul in this room that doesn't need to be transformed and changed by the power and the love and the grace of Jesus. I know there's not a soul in here who you don't have an incredible plan and purpose for their lives. 
that requires us to be transformed. And I know this, God, according to your word, that you want to start that work by changing our minds, by changing the way we think. Think. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to master our minds as we open the door to you, asking you to change our negative thought patterns, God, to change our thoughts from worry, God, to peace, from changing our thought patterns from negative to positive, Father, from changing the things we orient our minds around from the things of this world to the things of eternity. And as we do this, Lord... That door opens to you and you can change us. God, my prayer for every single person in this room is that nobody has to live life the same as it is right now. And God, there's some of us in this room who think we have great lives and I know that God, our best is yet to come. I know there's people in this room, Father, who are really dissatisfied with the direction of their lives, God. And when they ask themselves the question, is are you satisfied with where your thought life is taking you, God? The answer is so obviously no. And I pray, Jesus, that they would not feel powerless, but they would know, God, that their best days are yet to come because you have transformation available to them. And I pray, God, that as we say yes to you, you would start that transforming work in us today. God, we are so grateful that a life following you is the best life we could ever live. And even though it may not be a life, God, where we settle into the comforts that we think we want, God, we settle into the transformation and change that's best for us. And I thank you for that, Lord. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.